Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Off West End podcast. This week saw the 10th anniversary Off West End Awards ceremony take place at the Battersea Arts Centre, awarding the best shows from last year, 2019. I've been down to the red carpet with my microphone to speak to some of the newly crowned winners. Uh, you'll hear some of my interviews with them later in the show. In the meantime, I'm here with guest critics Steve Sargent and Shaneen Salmon. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. We're going to run through a few shows we've seen this week, including Sinners at the Playground Theatre, Incident Room at the New Diorama, No Show at the Yard, High Table at the Bush, Jekyll and Hyde at the Vault, and Daughter at the BAC. Um, Off West End has a brand new website that they've just launched at offwestend.com. You can head there for reviews, interviews, and if you're involved with the show, you can submit a show listing. Uh, you can email the show at podcast at offwestend.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll be happy to read out any show recommendations you have on the podcast. And you can now submit, submit your own audio reviews. If you come out of a show, you can get your phone out and record us a 30-second review. Send it to us via the link in the podcast description. So let's talk about some shows that are on now. Uh, Steve, you've seen Sinners at the Playground Theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... This is a really interesting play. Um, it's written by Israeli playwright Joshua Sobol and directed by uh, Succession star and TV and film star Brian Cox. Uh, not the professor. The show itself is set in the Middle East, although a specific country isn't given. And the play tells the story of two forbidden lovers, Layla, played by Nicole Ansari, and Nur, played by Adam Sinner. Their love is forbidden as it is adulterous, with both characters being married and Nur being Layla's university student. It explores a few big questions and doesn't shy away from boldly exploring sexuality, lust, and the place of love within a society where arranged marriages are the norm. So when the house opens, the audience enter into a warm, sandy, almost golden space, and the stage pulls forward from a brick wall that shows the bloody remnants of executions. The stage floor is sandy and littered with small boulders. There's a wooden wheelbarrow and a heap of black cloth on the floor, but that's it. It's a really effective set that's bold in its simplicity and almost feels conceptual rather than realistic. Just off stage is Varia Amiri, who provides beautiful, evocative music that bookends the piece. So the play starts with Nur collecting the small boulders, which actually seem to have real weight to them, and organising them into piles across the stage. Dialogue is really scarce at the start of the show, and Cox's directing feels deliberate, and it creates real atmosphere and tension. Shortly after, we discover that the pile of black cloths is actually Layla, who has been buried up to her chest. Noor is tasked with organising the boulders, in anticipation of the crowds gathering, to stone Layla to death for adultery. So despite the weight to this task, the dialogue its infused with humour and the language of sexuality, the play is pleasing in that it eschews standard gendered stereotypes when it comes to lust, and there is quite a lot of fun to be had from it. I imagine it's not an easy play to perform for Ansari, who spends almost the whole show buried up to her chest and not being able to move. Um, it ne really needs the language to do the work, but it, it does. So I wanted to see this for a couple of reasons. Um, I've never been to the Playground Theatre, which builds itself as a place where theatre makers can play without the stresses of requiring a commercial outcome. And also because it's a story that I've not heard told before and isn't a story that appears too often in a theatrical space. The theatre itself, super easy to get to, nearest tube being Latimer Road, really good cafe bar at the front and a genuinely really lovely, exciting space. Um, yeah, really enjoyed this. Really, really interesting story. Um, lots of kind of new thoughts for me. Um, so really enriching. Um, the show runs until the 14th of March and tickets start from about £16. Sounds almost Paquettean with her being buried. Do you know what? It, it, it absolutely is. It really smacks of that. I kind of, um, it's a, 
yeah, it's a comparison that I think has been made elsewhere. For mm. me, it's slightly different because of the kind of the context of this music, which feels almost Moroccan. It's almost North African, almost Middle Eastern. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting watch. It's also really interesting in the way that Brian Cox has directed it. Um, obviously, you don't have many tools to play with if one of your characters cannot move yeah. for the whole show. Um, but the pacing is right, the kind of rhythm feels right, and it's really engaging. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty bleak story, though. You would think so, um, but actually not. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are there are moments of beauty. I mean, the the kind of I don't, I don't want to give away the ending because mm -hmm. it is it's a real beautiful moment, um, which you wouldn't expect as the show leads up to somebody's inevitable murder by stoning. But yeah. um, but it is a it's a it's a beautiful moment. And throughout the show, are lots and lots of beautiful moments, lots of beautiful imagery, um, and yeah, a, a really interesting. Yeah, really interesting play, actually. Great. Uh, so what else we got? Uh, Shanine, you've been to the incident room at the new diorama. Yes. Um, so the incident room is um, starts off basically in 1975 in Leeds at the epicentre of the biggest manhunt in, man in British police history. We follow Sergeant Megan Winterburn, played by Charlotte Mellier, as she joins hundreds of officers working around the clock to find the man known as the Yorkshire Ripper. With public pressure mounting, the investigation results to increasingly audacious attempts to catch one of Britain's most notorious serial killers. Um, when I previewed this uh, a few episodes ago, um, because I'm a true crime ghoul, as I described yes. myself, and very much so, um, it's interesting how Peter Sutcliffe's sort of heinous acts still fascinate. I think partly it's the number of people he killed. The length of time i think he was on the run for on the run for he was sort of doing this for about six years which is a long time in a police investigation to not find someone committing absolutely dreadful crimes and that really affected the community there's a really interesting part in the program notes when it sort of says in 1974 the murder and detection rate was 90 percent equal pay came into force and this one man manages to create fear not just in the northwest of england where he committed his crimes but the whole country um and it still, as a subject, fascinates culturally. Um, really strong performance from Charlotte Mellier, who plays the sort of tired and drained sergeant in a room full of men. She's sort of one of the few female police officers and she's tasked with making the tea and typing up reports um, and constantly refused promotion over colleagues not as talented as her. Um, and the relationships we see, the strongest relationship we see is one with one of um, Sutcliffe's survivors called Maureen Long, played by Katie Britton. And she's desperate to just be forgotten as a victim. She says to them, look, can't you say someone else did it? Can't you say I'm not one of the victims? Because a book is released and it names her and all the other women are dead and they're kind of, they're just names and they have, in some way that sounds awful, but this, this, this escape where she can't escape it. She will always mm -hmm. be known as a victim. She's always left with these scars and brain injuries from um, his attacks, which if you're not familiar with Sutcliffe, basically he would attack women with hammers. It's grim and I will avoid talking about the, description of his crime as the play does the play doesn't focus on Sutcliffe at all it doesn't say you know here was a married man who kind of avoided justice because he didn't seem like a serial killer um it's a really interesting collaboration so David Byrne who is the artistic director of New Diorama has worked with um writer Olivia Hurst and co-directed with Beth Flintoff to sort of create this female-led drama and for me I'd never been to the New Diorama before but you hear about their productions a lot and to me they're cementing themselves as a really exciting space for new writing yeah um and what else yes so the context the problem with when you're writing or you're 
you know, producing a story about Peter Sutcliffe or producing a story set in the 70s is that male characters still dominate. So even though it does really well to create these sort of really strong female leads, um, I felt that the male characters were better developed. So you've got the investigation lead, George Oldfield, who's played by Colin R. Campbell, um, who is really struggling. What's really interesting is we come at the point of the play where there's already been five murders and he's pretty desperate. So what happens is there's a tape that is sent to him which is they describe as Wearside Jack. It's a man with a Northeast accent and he purely focuses. He goes, this is our killer. It has to be our killer because we've got no other leads and basically ruins his career because of his obsession with a red herring. And it's really sad and it's done really well because he's not the most sympathetic of characters. But when you see his downfall, you kind of think this isn't about him. This is about a whole police force under pressure um and there's also a really good performance from peter clements as jack ridgeway who sort of waltzes in from the manchester police force with great ideas but is also struggling um with the lack of evidence they've got um really good um set design from patrick canella which is dominated by filing cabinets it's kind of this idea of the possibly one of the reasons that the investigation was such a mess is it was pure paper You've got all these bits of paper. They're interviewing thousands of thousands of men. They talk about one section where they go to the red light districts and there's something like they speak to like 4,000 men. It's like everyone in the Northwest is visiting prostitutes in the 70s. Like They cannot use that as their one thing. Um, and really nice archive footage. So you have this scene where it's like a young Richard Maidley talking about it as well, which I thought was really well done. Um, and I think for me, what I came out with was, you know, could this happen again? you know technology's moved on we've got dna testing but the attitudes to women are as bad as they were in the 70s there's still a lot of misogyny there's still this idea of innocent non-innocent victims so the majority of Sutcliffe's victims were prostitutes and when he attacks a woman they believe not to be a prostitute she's described as an innocent victim implying the others put themselves in that scenario and particularly towards the end of the investigation they try and um set a curfew and women are absolutely raging and it causes the characters to say you know the men should be locked up not the women um as a production it's a a tense and emotional piece and really it talks about whether the case set feminism back up until that point there was some real inroads and i think the attitude towards the ripper and the attitude to what he was doing to women really made women question their role in society so yeah i 100 percent recommend going to see the incident room and it's on until the 14th of march Great. Sounds good. Well, it sounds uh, tense and interesting. <laughs> uh, I, um, as the self-appointed off West End experimental theatre consultant, uh, have <laughs> been down to the yard to see No Show by Christopher Green. Um, so Christopher Green, I previewed this last week, uh, is a, a really fun performer. He did a, a really interesting show at the South Bank called Prurience, which was a uh, like a sex therapy group in which the audience sort of took part as participants. Uh, he did a 48-hour show in the, in a care home last year uh, in which you experience what it's like to be in a care home. And he also performs as a car- cabaret characters, Tina C and, I- and Ida Barr. So this is no show. This is his new show. Um, and essentially it starts with nothing. The, the stage begins completely empty. The audience sits there in our case for about 15 minutes until an audience member notices a crumpled piece of paper on the stage and goes to retrieve it. So, I mean, other audiences might notice that within one or two minutes, <laughs> but we were there for a long time. Um, so 
uh, so that that's the the thing that starts the show. Uh, it, it has a web address on it, which then audience members have to read out instructions from to get the show going. Um, and so uh, Chris finally enters, and uh, he's feeling shy. He's lost confidence in his work and needs the audience to help him to create the show. So there's a lot of audience interactions, a lot of suggestions, which are, on the night I went was really funny. Lots of people wanted to get involved. And Chris sort of guides everything along. So just allows the ideas to develop. Obviously, there's some things that are pre-planned, but some things, you know, it feels quite anarchic, quite generally, quite a lot of the time. And, you know, we as the audience succeed by getting him to perform. So sometimes he'll go into a performative, you know, bit apropos of nothing. Everyone gets really excited because we've achieved the task we set out of getting him on the stage to perform. And then he'll come out of it again and go oh, was that any good? Go and sit in the audience and like tear it to shreds. So if you like to get it really involved in the nitty gritty of a show in a very non-threatening audience interaction way, uh, you might enjoy this. It is quite a messy show. It'll be totally different every night. It happens depending on the audience. But I mean, I'm a big fan of Christopher Green and he's a, a really talented performer that, uh, is, that uh, guides the show along really uh, interestingly and it's very watchable it's it's very funny all the way through that's on at the yard uh also till the 14th of march tickets are 17 pounds for that one uh what else are we talking about um high table at the bush you've seen steve yeah that's right so this was one of my previews uh, a couple of weeks ago um a play i was yeah particularly excited to see it feels like absolutely the right time for it, and it's it's an, another piece of really strong programming by the Bush. Um, it's the debut play by Temi Wilkie, directed by Daniel Bailey. Um, so there are three interlinking aspects to this story, uh, and I'll try to touch on them without giving away any spoilers. Uh, ostensibly, it's a story of a young gay couple, Tara and Leah, who are planning their perfect Nigerian wedding. When Tara introduces Leah as her fiancé to her parents, they refuse to accept the relationship and refuse to attend the wedding. The pressure that this puts on Tara and Leah causes their relationship to falter. But the story also flips to modern-day Nigeria, where Tara's uncle is in trouble because he was discovered at a gay party. Nigeria does not recognise LGBT rights. And it also flips again to a space high above Tara and Leah, where Tara's ancestors are gathering to decide if they should or shouldn't bless the wedding. A high table. Absolutely. Uh, it is a beautiful, intimate and nuanced story, and just hugely impressive writing um, by Temi Wilkie. It sensitively explores challenges faced by members of the African LGBT community, both now and over in the past, without ever feeling crass or patronising. It also touches on the toxic legacy of colonialism and the weight of expectation on younger generations. So a huge amount to get your brain round. Um, I'm not ashamed to say it brought more than a couple of tears to my eyes. Um, and the production itself is exceptionally strong. Um, a kind of really beautifully textured set uh, and costume design by Natasha Jenkins, set and costume design by Natasha Jenkins, that is just perfect. It's not often I get emotional over a costume change, but this one did. <laughs> uh, the performances across the board are really, really strong, but especially uh, from my Bernardo Jack, who plays Leah and Adebisi with real depth and detail. If you're still on the fence about this show, it also features an opportunity to perform Candy Dance on the stage with the cast, and if that's not worth your money, I don't know what mm -hmm. is. Speaking of money, tickets are around 25 quid. It runs at the Bush in Shepherd's Bush until the 21st of March, and I'm probably going to go see it again. Really? Okay, great. Uh, nice. Um, right, what else are we talking about? Uh, you've been down to the vaults again, Shanine, for Jekyll and Hyde. 
Yes, yeah, I'm always at the vaults yeah. these days. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, acclaimed immersive gaming company Fired Hazard Games unleashed Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on the streets of London in an exciting real-world scavenger hunt. Um, in a world of dual personalities and questionable morality, nothing is certain. Waking up in the aftermath of Mr. Hyde, players are plunged into a thrilling investigation as they unravel their twisted deeds from the night before. So I, the last Fire Hazard Games uh, show I saw was Around the World in 80 Days, which is at the Udderbelly Festival in the yeah, summer. Yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. It was kind of, I found the clues quite challenging, but it was more like, for me, it was about getting my steps in, I think, primarily <laughs> and wandering around yeah. London and, and having a nice walk around. Um, but yeah, same. This one I found probably even more challenging. And now you've got the darkness of, of winter to guide you along the way. Um, part game, part theatre, as the app guides you through Waterloo to solve clues and find out exactly what you got up to the night before after taking a mysterious serum. Um, your choices form your interactions with the three actors. So you've got Frey the chemist, played by Daniel, and I apologise for pronouncing his surname wrong, Chrysostomu who I wanted to focus on because I saw a production of Twelfth Night at Broccoli Jack earlier this year and I didn't realise till alarmingly the end of the play that he'd been playing two characters. It was such a good right. performance and I didn't recognise him again Jekyll in this. He is, yeah, he's the Jekyll <laughs> and Hyde. And it's really exciting actually to see a, an actor embrace, you know, traditional theatre and immersive in equal measure. Um, and really one to watch as well. I found him really engaging and he's probably got the most fun character to play. And then there are two other characters. So you've got Edmonton the Lawyer, played by Tim Kennington, and Goldman the Psychoanalyst, played by Chloe Masheter, who immersive audiences will know from Crisis, Rock, sorry, Crisis What Crisis, um, which was on at the Collab Theatre uh, earlier this year. And they're there to sort of move the story along. And if you're really struggling, um, they'll help you with some clues as well. So depending on what options you pick, they will approach you with an offer. So not to spoil it too much, but you can take their offer. You've been committing some pretty heinous acts. The police are after you. They might be able to help you out. Um, and I think when I said to Tom that I'd quite like to cover this, the general approach was, is this theatre? And I <laughs> I would, you know, there's an argument. Not in a snobby way. No. <laughs> in a, can you talk about this? Um, yeah, so I think the fact that the elements that aren't theatre are what it's, strength is really i think you're getting in new audiences who will focus on the gaming aspect you're also getting this option to interact with the performance so whether you're interacting with the act and, and the storyline through the app or you're interacting with the actors on the streets and um there's this bit well few, frequently the actors will approach you and say oh yeah you did this and you're like but how do you know and of course they've got access to the app and they can probably see what each team have done along the way um but yeah, it's it's great fun. Yeah, I clocked up 11,000 steps that day and got to see parts of Waterloo that I wasn't familiar with. There's a nice bit where you go into the station, you have to find a stained glass, which is just on the top concourse. And I think most people probably just storm past it because they've got a train to catch. And it's really nice to just stop and look at these things and really appreciate what is in London and what history is there. Great, I'm making notes in case I go and see it. Indeed, yeah, I can I can tell you some answers. Um, but yeah, it was when they kind of, you have these unique, what well, I'd say unique interactions. So um, we were confronted about the death of a dove during a magic trick that we did. And then another group, which is my favourite, drowned a priest and then maimed the witnesses. And they were confronted with, why, why did you do that? It's very strange. Um I think, you know, I, I love traditional theatre. I like having a nice sit down. But I think you also have to say, <laughs> don't we all, don't we all. 
either like let's move around a bit let's take theatre into the streets and say you know what can you be doing so yeah I um I think if you're looking for a Jekyll Hyde story I'm not quite sure the Jekyll Hyde element is for the audience so to speak but it's a nice basis to have a night out and sort of take control of what you do on the app and have fun so yeah this is on until the 22nd of March and ticket tickets sorry are from 20 pounds yeah I mean I really enjoyed the last show around the world in 80 days um but as you say I think that the strongest elements are the sort of gaming aspects of it there were three actors in that show as well but uh for that one a, a a large portion of it was just being sent out into the streets of London to find clues that the app gives you. Yeah. So it does, it is very much a gaming focused thing with actors, you know, yeah. in my head. I mean, I don't know if this is a bit more. Yeah, and it's very different from things like Crisis What Crisis, which again, oh, yeah. if you say, again, you could describe them as gaming theatre, mm. but the game does feel a lot more kind of intentional, not really guided. You know, there's a point where they go, right, we're doing this now, and yeah. what you choose to do and where you choose to go feels a bit more up to you whereas um the differences between the two apps so around the world in 80 days basically said here's everything make your own plan yeah hopefully you'll find something see and you win. Back here in an hour. see you back here in an hour this one you would if you started in one area you were kind of limited to where you could go next and right. i think it was to kind of keep a bit control of the timings right but my friend was quite frustrated because she was like, well, actually, I want to go and see that bit. But there's no option for me to answer any questions in that section because right. I'm on, you know, the other side of Waterloo. So there's, yeah, it seems to be, I think they've learned some lessons from Around mm. the World in 80 Days. But I don't know if that the lessons that kind of limit the audience, whereas you felt, to me, a lot more freer to, mm. to wander around. Maybe because it was the summer and people wanted to walk around a bit yeah, more. Sure. So. Well, I don't think we stopped to walk at any point. We were running most of the time. <laughs> Uh, take it very seriously, of course. Uh, well, that sounds good. Um, what else are we talking about? Uh, Steve, you've seen Daughter at the Battersea Arts Centre. I have, yeah. A big show, this, for a one-person show. <laughs> um, so, performed by Adam Lazarus, directed by Anne-Marie Kerr. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, Adam Lazarus is a Canadian performance artist. He's worked predominantly in the Buffon satirical style of theatre. My favourite. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, of this piece, which Adam describes as a challenging piece of fem feminist art... Uh, Adam states he wanted to create a monster that was more subtle and relatable uh, than the wild characters and extreme masks of the Buffon form. I think it's fair to say he's done just that. This piece is an exploration of problematic male behaviour that shines a light on toxic masculinity and its actions and consequences. So in the piece, Adam is father to two young children, a boy and a girl. And the piece starts with Adam replicating the joyous, innocent dancing of his daughter and the audience immediately warmed to him. It's fun, it's funny, Adam seems totally likeable, totally normal, and a good dad. But throughout the course of the show, this perception is eroded. Um, the piece explores a number of toxic masculine traits, including but not limited to violence towards women, specifically towards his young daughter. Sexual violence, pornography, infidelity, infidelity with a 16-year-old, use of sex workers, visits to strip clubs, emotional violence and aggression. During the piece, Adam, and I think I should probably stress Adam's a character, although he shares a name with the performer, um, he confronts his own behaviour towards women now that he has a daughter. We get the impression he has never in the past needed to confront his behaviour. And what's interesting about the piece is that whilst it seems to explore the incompatibility of toxic masculinity and fatherhood, it's a little short on remorse. 
and it simply presents this exploration without any kind of moral to the story or signposts to a better way of living. It loudly acknowledges lots of male behaviour towards women is problematic, but it doesn't offer a solution. Um, it is tough to watch at points, and the space, uh, the council chamber at Battersea Arts Centre, doesn't always feel psychologically safe for the audience. It also features moments where the audience are encouraged to share their own opinions on certain topics. Uh, so whilst Adam is performing as a character, the show feels totally real, almost like a seminar. And it's this that I think is most remarkable. Um, I found it an exceptional piece to experience. The storytelling is some of the strongest I've seen. Um, and yeah, it, it strikes me as it's a piece that brings an abrasive but welcome voice to the discourse. Um, because the show can be tough to watch, there is a post-show discussion following the piece with Ashlyn Rose, who is the Theatre Centre Toronto's Artistic Director, which is where this piece originally came from, um, and there is certainly a lot in the show to discuss. Um, yeah, I, although I didn't stay for the post-show talk, it didn't feel like a space I needed to inhabit, I did spend quite a lot of time in the bar afterwards talking about this piece. Um, I, kind of the conversations that I had I don't want to go into too much detail because every single person will have a different experience to this piece based on their own kind of life experience, based on where they are in their own life at that time. It, yeah, but yeah, it's absolutely remarkable. Um, it runs to the 28th of March at Batsy Arts Centre near Clapham Junction and tickets are around £20. So uh, that, that sort of, uh, the fact that he doesn't acknowledge that he's a character, do you think people didn't realise that? I think it's really easy to forget. Right. I, I genuinely do. I mean, the piece starts with direct address there's a lot of direct address straight the way through you're having a conversation with a performer uh, there is no fourth wall it's not mm. it's not a case of the fourth wall is broken it just doesn't exist in this show which is why it feels more like a seminar it's an absolute conversation um, as a result of that the kind of the usual theatrical safety net of knowing oh, it's okay this is a trained performer you know yeah. they've, they've been to theatre school <laughs> this is just a show it's a monologue yeah absolutely none of that exists so it feels real it feels like you're having a conversation with somebody who has actually done the things that he's talking about and I think that's that's one of the reasons it's tricky um the for, sorry tricky for some audience members the post-show discussion at the end Adam's not a part of and he says that that's purposeful because by the end of the piece you kind of hate him he kind of represents so much of what is wrong with uh, masculinity mm. um, and it's it, it's not pleasant he's not a pleasant character by the end of the show um, it's interesting that they've acknowledged that um, and yeah I think uh, for me the, the kind of biggest takeaway is that male audience members who haven't looked in the mirror and gone yeah some of the stuff I do is really problematic might find this a bit offensive yeah okay well, we were talking last week about Me Too and all the responses to that, and I suppose mm. this is the a sort of male response. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. Exactly right. And it's perhaps particularly powerful that this is a, a kind of a, a piece of theatre. It happens within the theatre industry, which in the past has had its own problematic behaviours, <laughs> yeah. um, but that it doesn't, uh, it kind of, it doesn't exist within the context of a normal theatrical production. Yeah. It's interesting about you saying the character not showing any remorse. Because it sounded to me a lot like, I don't know if you saw it, it was Cypress Avenue at the Royal Court with yeah. Stephen Ray. And I saw it when it was in the smaller space and then it transferred to the bigger space about a year later. Mm. And a woman in front of me in the second round, so second round, so my second round of seeing it, um, walked out. And the first time I saw it, I found it a very powerful piece. The character isn't particularly likeable. But my friend who I went with the first time said, 
can you have characters like that when there isn't any redemption or they don't seem to be severely punished for what they're doing increasingly we're seeing more and more plays about toxic masculinity but it seemed to be like that's what they do this is why they're doing it and then that's it there's no none of them seem to realize the outcome and none of them say as a character i'm going to change and do you think that makes it more real or does that just feel like for the particularly as a female audience member it feels like oh okay so you know what you're doing and you're not changing your behavior do you know what it's a really interesting point and not one to which i have an answer um i think i think partly it's these discussions that this show exists to provoke Mm -hmm. um the reason it doesn't say at the end all of this is really bad and instead we should be doing x y and z Mm -hmm. is because i don't necessarily think the answer is that clear no um i mean the kind of the the culture of toxic masculinity where it's come from over generations and generations and generations of patriarchy it's not something that is easily wipeable away yeah at the Um, end of 90 minutes exactly we've solved it now yeah that's exactly it but uh, i think the fact that the play doesn't doesn't say that it doesn't say this is how you fix it is a strength it it makes it a harder watch but i think it's a strength um of the piece and that although the character through the show does it you know he does show remorse about some of his actions he goes this was the worst thing that happened and i was sleeping on the sofa or x y and z the show itself doesn't show remorse <laughs> you know there's there's no kind of letting up there's no slowing down of, of the the kind of actions or behaviors or or things that are discussed and if anything it probably gets quicker it's relying on the audience to make that judgment i suppose that's to exactly that right condemnation yeah that's exactly right and you just hope that they do <laughs> yeah okay great sounds, sounds fun and that leads us nicely into uh the other amazing event at the Battersea Arts Centre recently uh which was the 10th anniversary Off West End Awards last week uh so let's go over to my evening down at the office So the 10th anniversary Off West End Awards was a wonderful evening featuring performances from the BAC Beatbox Academy and a rousing speech by London playwright Winston Pinnock at the end. One of the stories of the night was the award for Best Actor in a Musical. Two actors from the same show, Thrill Me at the Hope Theatre, were finalists in that category and in a nice twist the judges decided they should both win the award. Here's me catching up with them in the bar. I'm here with Bart Lambert and Jack Reitman, who have just shared the uh, best male performance for Thrill Me at the Hope Theatre. Guys, did you have any idea what was going to happen before you got here? No, not at all. I mean, it was, no. it was sort of like everyone, it was the thing that like, in like lots of like hushed, quiet conversations, conversations, I've had quite a lot of wine. Um, everyone, it was the thing that people were very like secretly hoping for, but didn't think was possible. And so then when it was announced, they sort of like... Was, they, they announced... Bart's name first and I went mad like so happy and then she was like and Jack Reitman was like what? what? yeah, yeah there was a big cheer after Bart's name and then uh, yeah, and nobody then, cared about me yeah. no, 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 no they did they did, they did. it was just yeah um, how were you feeling at that moment? I was so ecstatic about him and I was like wait what? Um, and it was so lovely to be able to share it with him because yeah, yeah. we if any it, it, I mean hardly anyone saw the show because we literally played in a the tiniest theatre ever. Um, gorgeous tiny theatre. There's like a there's like five seats. Literally five seats. And th- if people brought bags, it meant we couldn't do most of the acting. Um, but yeah, and so to be able to share it with Bart, because um, it was a two two man show, mm. um, it was actually us two and a piano and a very gorgeous set by Rachel. Mm. Um, who was also nominated. Who was also yeah, nominated yeah. for amazing fantastic. work. I've, I've worked with her a couple of times and she like always, she like, 
I, I don't know how she does it. She like reads something, she like gets an idea for the soul of it, and just in the most like beautifully simplistic way, just captures the thing. She's fucking yeah. fantastic. It was great. Well, guys, you must have to share the award. It's yeah. a really nice story. Go and enjoy the party. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I just realised that I swore, and it's probably not something I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so I'm here with Gemma Barnett, who's just won Best Actress in a in a play for 100 Words for Snow at the Trafalgar Studios, but originally started the Vault, Vault Festival. Gemma, how do you feel? Um, amazing, amazing. It's such a pleasure and honour to be here at an award ceremony that really recognises like incredible work that often goes unrecognised. So yeah, it's an honour. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit about the journey of making the show? Yeah, so we've been on a big journey. Um, we started off at Vault Festival and it was a beautiful script written by Tati Hennessy, um, directed by Lucy Jane Atkinson. And um, it started off with very little funding, to be honest honest with me and a huge rucksack and um, from the vault festival got a transfer to Traff and here we are and yeah it's been an amazing journey for everyone to go on so what does this award mean to you and your team uh, a massive amount um, I think to to feel like other people have seen the show and connected with it in the way that we all did um, and how much it meant to us to see that resonate with an audience has been a dream, especially with a one-person show because you don't have other actors on stage to, to share it with. So the audience really is that relationship for you every day. So um, the fact that other people came and, and felt the journey of it in the way that I was feeling it every night just means a huge amount I can't say yeah congratulations again Gemma go and enjoy the party thanks thank you so much I'm here with Spit Lip who have just won the best company ensemble award for Operation Mincemeat at the new diorama guys how does it feel uh, yeah amazing absolutely amazing uh, really really nice to have the show recognized and also not just the show but like us as an entire ensemble everyone who's worked on it um, from we built this show from nothing with a group of amazing people and it nearly killed us making yeah, it. Genuinely. So I think basically this has really been some justification for that an insane and in some ways beautiful creative process. Yeah, like so many people have worked on this uh, tirelessly and so hard um, and it's really great to get it recognised not just for the people on stage but for everyone behind the scenes from the people commissioning it to uh, the people writing it and uh, com uh, composing it and also lighting it and everything else and we hope that this hopefully shows a different way of getting mu new musicals made that's different from the tradition of like the big companies putting in money into stuff that's reboots of films from the 80s did you write it all together as an ensemble yeah yeah so basically the the, the company Spitlip is four people uh, three of whom are in it and the fourth is the MD um, and we just yeah work together and argue a lot it's deeply inefficient but you know apparently it gets results <laughs> yeah I mean nothing gets in the show unless it's got past all four of our uh, kind of brains uh, which means I guess everything in there is a bit tighter this is every screw is tightened extra a little bit more but um also yes it takes a long time but it's nice to have that recognized I guess and it's coming back again this year I think yes we're on in May at the Southern Playhouse at the large there's barely any tickets left so good luck to you to be honest to try and get one uh, and then we'll be taking it to the fringe hopefully so look out for announcements about that uh, coming very soon fantastic congratulations again guys thank you thank you so I'm here with Carrie Crankson, who's just won Best Male in a Play uh, for Country Music at the Omnibus Theatre. Carrie, how do you feel? Um, amazing, yeah. Um, well, I d I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> kind of, um, I, don't, I, d I don't know, I d um, yeah, speechless. Did you have any idea, any inkling that you were going to win? No, no. Um, of course I hoped, um, but I had no, no idea. Um, 
Can you tell us a bit about the experience of making the play? Yeah, um, you know, it's crazy. I bumped into the director on the street. Um, I'd, I'd met him years ago and, um, and I just said, oh, hi. And then, um, and it was from that kind of fortuitous moment um, of serendipity that we, you know, and I, I came into his head when he was casting the play. And, um, and then we, you know, we just had a great time. Um, Scott was just such a um, sensitive man and um, created a, a room where we could um, just really explore the themes um, of the play in a, in a very um, personal and subtle way. And, um, and, and everyone was just, um, just so truthful and, and honest and open and we had a really great time. Thanks, Gary. Congratulations. Uh, can we see anything at the moment? Um, I've got a film coming out in um, hopefully uh, Christmas. Um, it's sort of nearly finished. Uh, it's called Silent Night. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. Go and enjoy the party. Thanks very much. So that was my uh, time at the Offworth Stand Awards. Um, you can see the full list of winners from this year's awards at offies.london. So now we're going to talk about a few things coming up in London that you might want to look out for. Um, firstly, I'd like to talk about uh, the Darkfield shows. That's a trilogy of shows in shipping containers. That's uh, taking up residence in Lewis Cubitt Square in King's Cross. Um, so these these shows have been around before. They were in Canary Wharf before. They were at the vaults. Um, so there's three shows, uh, Coma, Seance and Flight. They're all uh, immersive shows um, written by Glenn Neath and David Rosenberg, who um, have done... Uh, have quite a history of working together on headphone shows. They did some shows at the Battersea Arts Centre, Ring and Fiction, uh, both of which were immersive headphone shows in complete darkness, which were a lot of fun. So these are much shorter shows. They're 20 to 30 minute shows, each taking place in a separate shipping container. Um, so the the, um, the show titles sort of give away the nature of the experience. The Coma, Seance and Flight are separate shows. Coma uh, sounds the most fun to me. Uh, it says, Coma invites audiences to take part in a mass experiment, to lie down together and slip into a collective dream for 30 minutes. Sounds absolutely terrifying. Uh, Shanine, you've seen Flight and you said it was pretty good. Yeah, so flight, the, the shipping container from the outside is just a shipping container and then you're given a little ticket with your seat number and when you go in, it's a replicant of a flight. So you've got overhead um, lockers and um, flight seats as well. And yeah, I really enjoyed that one because you get some visual to lead you in and then it plunges you into darkness. And because you sort of know your surroundings, you can kind of imagine what's happening. And there's a bit where the, you do feel like you're taking off, actually, which is incredible. I'm not sure what they do, but it, you feel something moving. And it's, um, yeah, it was by far my favourite of the three. Though I, I enjoyed all three when I've seen them. Yeah, tw well, actually, coma once and the other two twice now. So, yeah, great fun. So uh, fairly trigger, trigger heavy for uh, people who don't like flying? Yeah, I wouldn't. My partner hates flying. I'm not sure I would take him on that one. I think that would probably, if you're already scared, it's probably going to make you more scared. So okay, avoid. Yeah. Good to know. Um, so catch that if you uh, don't mind being scared. Uh, tickets start from £8 for those shows, and they're, they're 20, 20 to 30 minutes each. So you could see all three if you 
really wanted to. Um, Steve, what, what would you like to talk about? Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Valpone at Omnibus in Clapham, uh, I think looks particularly exciting. This obviously based on Ben Johnson's 1605 play, um, but this is an exciting reimagining by Tangle Theatre. Uh, it's inspired by South African Township Theatre, uh, performed by three people who do all the parts, proper chorus work, and it's set against a dynamic backdrop of jazz fusion, which is right up my street. Uh, yeah, tickets from £13. It runs from the 25th of March to the 11th of April at uh, Omnibus, nearest tube, Clapham Common. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Time Machine at London Library. Uh, so th this is from a company who did uh, Dracula at the London Library last year, a creation theatre. So written by Jonathan Holloway, who's right for Red Shift and has written many things for stage, TV and radio. Uh, and the blurb says, uh, delve into the secret corners of the London Library and travel through time to experience H.G. Wells' prescient sci-fi classic like never before. Innovative audio-visual design will transform the library's extraordinary building, where Wells was a member for 50 years, to create a unique theatrical experience, with audience groups being led by their very own time traveller. Sounds good. Um, so that's 29th of Feb until the 5th of April. Uh, so that's on already. For, uh, tickets are £32 for that one. Uh, Steve, what else you got? Uh, so, Stardust at Roundhouse. Um, so this runs 12th to 14th of March and the 19th to 21st of March. Um, this is a really exciting piece by Colombian artist Miguel Hernando Torres Umba. The show confronts the legacy of the drugs trade within Colombia and what responsibility we in the West have for an industry that killed thousands. Um, the show played to sell-out audiences in Edinburgh 2018. Really exciting to see it back on stage, particularly at the Roundhouse. Um, tickets around £15, and the nearest tube is Chalk Farm. Very good. And of course, it's the last two weeks of the vaults coming up. Um, so, Shanine, you've had a look over the programme to see what's coming up there. Yep, so there's three shows that I think look really good. So I've got Giving Up Marty, which is about a young man named Joel who sort of lives with his mum, dad and his sister. Life seems settled until his birth mother and his birth sister come looking for him. Um, and changes his life and what he knew as his identity forever. Um, Giving Up Marty is a brand new play by Karen Bartholomew, who I interviewed on my blog, View from the Cheap Seat, a couple of weeks ago. It's about, well, based on her own experiences as an adoptee and being reunited with her family, her birth family, at an early age. We talked about the romanticism of adoption reunion and how that doesn't always work out as well uh, um, as well as the practice God sorry as well as the practicalities of the large cast that she has. Um, there's a short run at the festival from the 10th to the 12th of March, but it then goes on a short tour. You can find the full details at motormouse.co.uk. Uh, the second show is 39 degrees a bold physical and frankly piping hot piece of new writing as it describes itself a dark comedy about friendship and fear so it focuses on two days where there were on um, one the 25th of july in london and the second the 31st of december 2019 in australia two houses are burning down one is ours and one is the writer's kate goodfellow who on New Year's Eve, her house completely burnt down in the Australian bushfires. Um, and she writes and performs. And I felt sorry, so bad for her awful year and her house burning down that I thought I'd give her a shout out. But it also seems like a really interesting two-hander about, yeah, climate change and also emotional impact of, of heat. Um, the final show is When We Died. And Blur basically says he's dead and it's her job to prepare and present his body for his family's final goodbye. She often imagines what each person's life was like, but today she doesn't have to imagine who he is. She knows him. 
When We Died is a striking new play about one woman's choice to confront her trauma and tell her story on her terms. So an early version of his play was long listed for the Bruntwood Prize um, for playwriting in 2017. It's sort of been rewritten and redeveloped and the Vault Festival is the kind of newer version after various um, rewrites. Um, both When We Died and 39 Degrees are at the Vault Festival from the 10th to the 15th of March. Nice. That's about all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much to my guest critics for joining me. Uh, as always, you can head to offwestend.com for show listings and info about the Off West End Awards. Uh, if you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, let your friends know about us. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. Until then, goodbye. This has been a Disentangled production.